You're listening to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. Today, Connor and I tackle her Achilles heel, which is perfectionism. This is something that has gone through her life, and she is now seeing some clarity on it, some perspective on how to overcome them. So we're going to leave you with three tips at the end to overcome perfectionism. And the truth is we're all a little bit of our own harshest critic. And Connor takes us through some really personal and great stories in her life. And then, of course, at the end, like I said, we're going to give you three little go-tos on how to help overcome perfectionism. So without further ado, guys, please enjoy the episode. Bones. Connor. Hey. How's it going? Good. I was just on our Instagram. You were? Yeah, I was looking at the giveaway. How's she doing? She's doing great. Does it look good? Yeah, it looks really good. I just read through it all. Yeah. 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 It's going real well. So, yeah, it's January 23rd, 2020, and we're doing our first giveaway. And we have one box. We're doing boxes. And one box is a coffee mug. It says the Weekly Warrior Podcast and has our little Viking logo on there. And it comes with uh, Death Wish Coffee, Valhalla. What's What kind of Valhalla? It's the... Oh, it's the Valhalla Java. (laughs) Valhalla Java. I knew it was like a rhyming. So we're giving those two away. Uh, in a box and then the other box is a beer like a tall mug like a uh, kind of like a it's beer like a mug stein. yeah it's like a stein so it's nice and hearty and big and it says the weekly yeah. water podcast on it and we're also pairing that with uh a lovely book called uh becoming a modern viking yes right by liam gooding yes and uh cory that's cory's uh, go-to books so we're we're doing those two boxes all you have to do is go to our instagram and check it out and enter through there or through itunes yes i like the two boxes it's the the morning battle is box number the, one the coffee is the morning battle yeah yep and box number two is the chug and read <laughs> the chug and read baby <laughs> yeah nothing better yeah hmm. okay uh so we're going to get into some good stuff we're going to talk about last week we did Corey's Achilles heel. We're going to go with this theme in the next, uh, well, you're doing you this week and then my Achilles heel next week. And today for you, we're going to talk about overcoming perfectionism. Yes. This is for sure something I've wrestled with my entire life and continue to wrestle with to this mm-hmm. day. And it seeps into every aspect of my life. Yeah. Um, so actually, before we get into this, we're going to talk all about it. Um, you know, Lynn, Lynn Curry. Yeah. So Lynn, she teaches meditation and uh, she's wonderful. Yeah. And we've known my, her for she's yeah. your what? She, I was going to say she's my meditation guru. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. all of our meditation guru. And she's she's great. And we've known her for many years. And uh, we met her at the CrossFit gym. She's a badass CrossFit athlete. Uh, she's super caring for others, and uh, she's really picked up her meditation uh, business in the uh, recent year. Um, so she's offering open enrollment for her new course uh, on daily meditation to build it up to become a habit for people. Um, it's 10 minutes a day. I think it's definitely worth a shot. We Did you do her last course? I know she gave us the thing. Yes. I, I followed it for a while, and it was really, really good. Yeah, it's um, great, especially if you're just getting started with meditation. Right. It's yeah. really great. It's really suited for beginners. Um, so that's what this is. It's 10 minutes per day trying to build up a habit to see if meditation fits with you in your life. Um, she really helps everyone along the way to make this a habit, and it's a good habit to have. Um, she teaches a basic sit and focus on your breath, which is a great place for beginners to start. It's where I started, and it's where I'm still at, really, when I do meditate. Um, so she gave us an offer to our listeners and us. So if you go to her website, uh, www.365mindfuldays.com, 365mindfuldays.com, you can use the code word. Guess what it is? It's Warrior. Weekly Warrior. <laughs> code word <laughs> Weekly Warrior at checkout and you can get half off her course. 
Um, so she extended that offer to us. So I wanted to plug it in the episode. Podcast with Lynn. We did. It was, yeah, I can't remember. Out. Yeah, for sure. Podcast. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I can't remember what episode that was, but that was a good I was, episode. I was trying yeah, I was trying to scroll back and see what number it is. Oh, it's uh, episode 15, Create Your Daily Flow, A Beginner's right. Guide to Meditation. Mm-hmm. That was wonderful. So, I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, go check her out. Um, so now let's, let's get on to this, Connor. We want to yeah. overcome perfectionism. This is something that has plagued you, something that you've had to hurdle and overcome and, and uh, deal with. So tell me about it. Yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with any of those personality type tests. So there's a bunch of them out there. The most recent one I've done is Enneagram. Um, I'm an Mm -hmm. Enneagram one, which is perfectionism. So uh, basically traits would be someone who's very detail oriented, disciplined, They tend to be pretty precise, analytical. They can be rigid. They also tend to be pretty high achieving. So Mm -hmm. these are all, I guess, qualities that I would relate to and identify Mm -hmm. with. And what I've noticed just reflecting back on my journey up until this point is perfectionism has definitely seeped into all aspects of my life. So everything from relationships to work to my experience as an athlete, along with sort of self-image and diet, that realm. Mm -hmm. And I want to start off by saying there's lots of positive qualities of being a perfectionist. So there's definitely benefits to this characteristic, but I think this is my Achilles heel because of all of the negative aspects that I've noticed. Yeah. And we tend to focus on the negative aspects, but let's start there. So how can it be a good thing? Yeah. So... I think just listing off all of those characteristics mm-hmm. or those personality traits. So someone who's high achieving and disciplined and hardworking, all of those qualities have helped me throughout my life, right? So anything I've done, I guess I can think back to kind of academics and athletics. I've always been super disciplined and hardworking. I've mm-hmm. always dedicated extra time to basically investing extra time to achieve more in my life. And so I would say those are, those are good qualities and can often lead to a lot of success. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would never look at you though and think that you're a perfectionist. No, not look at you, but like just being around you for the past like five or six years, Mm. You're, you seem so relaxed and chill and you're almost, if you do see yourself as a perfectionist, which obviously you do, I think you're really good at it (laughs) in a way because (laughs) you've always been open to feedback. You've never been like a perfectionist that's stuck in her own way of chewing things, you know, like you're always being a coach. You're always like looking for feedback from uh, uh, Jeremy or just the other coaches on staff. Um, and always trying to find new ways to like do, do better with the classes and one-on-ones. Yes. I so appreciate you saying that. I think that might just be a testament to how much I've grown. Mm. And I also think that I hide it really well in mm-hmm. that, I mean, we're all our harshest critic, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself. And I, I think it's more of an internal battle than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, because you are the judge of your progress in all aspects of your life. So if it's not where you want to be or if it's not like that, quote, perfect, then you're pretty tough. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, okay. So where do you want to start? So let's dive into some different aspects. Like you want to start with work? Sure. We can start there. Okay. I would say when it comes to work, I struggled with perfectionism in a few ways. I think I noticed just within my career and my job experiences, I always was overly critical of myself. Mm. But I think the where it showed up is I really struggle with work-life boundaries until recently. I think recently I've been able to create better boundaries, but up until this point, work-life boundaries have been so hard for me Mm -hmm. because I always felt the need to give more so that I could just be, I don't know if it was so that I could be seen as a better employee, a better coach, a better coworker, that I could live up to those expectations of just being a good friend and a good coworker and a good employee. Right. I, I cared a lot about what other people that I worked with and who I was around, what they thought of me. So I would often just give more of myself than I probably needed to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. then I, I think in other areas being a perfectionist in my work life felt very paralyzing in that it, even to this day, it stalls my progress. So I, I, sometimes I feel these barriers because I can't move forward unless it's perfect. Right. Yeah. So sometimes it stalls my progress or even to the point, this is going to sound terrible, where I'll say, why bother? Why bother taking this project on if, if I can't make it perfect? Yeah, then if I'm, I know I'm not going to knock it out of the park. Yes. If I know I cannot crush this, why bother? Mm-hmm. And so I may not even be able to take that first step in a new direction with a new project because of that mindset because of that fear that I'm going to fall short. Hmm. And honestly, this relates a little bit to work, but I think back to going through school and academics, school never came easily to me. Mm-hmm. Never. I struggled with school a lot, but I was also the type of person that could never settle for a B or a C. A C was failing. A B in my mind was failing. So did you have to like study every night really hard and like put all that extra effort in? Yes. I was the person that studied really late into the night. I have memories of crying over my math homework because it was so hard and math is hard. (laughs) (laughs) But still I needed, I needed to get that A and It wasn't that my parents were saying, you have to get this A. I mean, of course, they encouraged me to do well in school. Right. But this was all Mm self-imposed. Well, that's interesting that you say it's self-imposed because, I mean, let's take it all the way back now. So when we're born, like we're a fresh slate, right? And nothing you could, some people think that our personalities are kind of built in, some things Mm. are set. Yeah. But we're relatively like new and the things we experience really shape us. So that's other people saying things, whether it's our parents, friends, or stuff we hear on TV, radio, or coaches in our life, especially if we're athletes at a young age. Yes. Really kind of shape us. So interesting that you think it's self-imposed, but Let's go back to you as an athlete when you're super, when you were young. So you were a swimmer. So how do you think like that upbringing kind of played into the perfectionist that you see yourself as? Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I started swimming competitively at a very young age. So I was probably swimming competitively by five or six years old. Wow. And (laughs) this was, this To put this into perspective for people that aren't familiar with swimming, this means 
training year round. I would say by the time I was in sixth grade, so I just started middle school and I'm, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old. I'm mm-hmm. already, I'm already doing double days. I'm already training twice a day. I'm waking up early in the morning before school. To... How early? Like take us through a day. Like, Oh gosh. Um, so my brother was a swimmer too. So we would both wake up. I mean, we're probably waking up at four, four thirty AM. Mm. We're either going to the pool for swim practice or we're going to the weight room to lift weights. Mm-hmm. So again, starting with strength, ta- strength training really early on. Yeah. Um, and then we'd basically leave either the weight training room or the pool and we would go straight to school. Mm. So I would go to school, go to school all day. And then right after school, I would maybe have a break, but I would go to swim practice right after school mm-hmm. and swim practice is like two hours. Yeah. That's it's not, no joke. it's not 45 minutes or it's a two hour commitment. And it's funny because I started swimming competitively and at a very high level from such a young age, I didn't know any different. Mm. Looking back at it now, I think, wow, that's so silly that I was doing that. But I didn't know any different. That's just what I did. And I didn't think twice about it, to be honest. Yeah, and it's funny because it's like I said, we're all whatever, we're born with a fresh slate. And you said you started at five or six years old, but that's still really young. Like not many of us have memories before five or six years old. So like the only thing you knew was it was just, I mean, you wake up that early and go to swim practice was just like you wake up and brush your teeth. Yes. Yeah. It was just you. That's just what we did. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Did did you have, uh, did you have any like coaches when you were younger that do you remember like any of their influence? Oh, sure. I think all of my swim coaches were very influential. And thinking back on how they coached me, I think being young and showing a certain level of talent early on was exciting for my coaches. Mm -hmm. So they saw, I felt like they invested a lot into me. And I, I think I noticed that at a young age and they saw all of those qualities of being hardworking and disciplined and just showing up. I would, I would show up. I showed up every day and I worked really hard because they invested in me. I felt an even greater pressure to want to prove myself and to yeah. make them proud. Mm-hmm. So I was, that, that, that would, yeah, making them proud for sure. And that kind of made it less fun, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Let's be honest. Like, was it ever fun as a young age? Like all of that sounds (sighs) really draining and not fun, to be honest. It's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting. You're right. It's, it steals the joy out of it. Yeah. It really does. And Thinking back on it, I there were fun memories in that I had such a close circle of friends mm-hmm. that I developed being a part of different teams as a swimmer, but the actual practice and competition part mm. was not fun Yeah, because... I felt like I constantly needed to prove myself. Right. I think that's where like the, I believe, I don't know, from my point of view, the perfectionist can stem from sports at a young age. Mm, yes. Like feeling the pressure, like, okay, I have to be perfect. Have you picture perfect? No, like turnovers, no, um, I don't know. I don't know swimming. So like when you like swim and you reach the end of the wall and you do the flippy dippy do go the <laughs> yep. other way, you know, yep, that's like those, those have to be perfect. You can't waste yeah. any time doing those. 
like no interceptions. Everything has to be perfect. Like at a young age, we're now in uh, an era, I guess, especially in the past 10 years where sports, the aim of sports now is becoming fun for young kids. Yes. Like it has to be fun. It has to be supportive. We have to give positive feedback. And really that's kind of leaking. The positive feedback park is leaking its way into college sports and beyond that. But especially at a young age, man, if you put so much pressure on a kid, it not only like makes the sport not fun, but if they stick with the sport, it can seriously have implications on every other aspect of their life. Oh, sure. And I have memories of, so in swimming, technique is really important. Swimming Mm -hmm. is a very technical sport and you're constantly doing drills and we, we used to, our coach would videotape us swimming and critique our technique. (laughs) Yeah. And it, I mean, it starts to get down to really small things because Mm. you're trying to be as efficient as possible. And again, when you're training, you're constantly thinking about these things. So it's very similar. If people are familiar with Olympic lifting, Mm -hmm. so technical. Oh yeah. Yeah. Such technical movements and you can overthink the movement, but you train that way so that when it does come time to compete, your body is operating off of like muscle memory, basically. Mm-hmm. But that's hours and days and years in the pool of just really honing in on the minutia of the stroke. <laughs> Which is like what insanity. The heck? Wait, what? <laughs> the minutia of the stroke. <laughs> like every little detail, yeah. how but... you breathe, how you place your hand yeah. in the water, how you rotate. Mm. And... Because every little thing counts when you're in a competition and you're trying to compete. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Especially, I assume, at a high level. Do we, like, how old were you when, like, do you remember when you first, like, started getting filmed on your technique like that oh i i don't remember it was young though yeah. it was that's i mean crazy. seven eight that's nine. crazy that's yeah. crazy i thought you were gonna say like middle school high school because getting that detailed like you're talking the seconds or whatever that you're gonna save doing those strokes depending on what event you're in probably Mm-hmm. makes a difference at a high level when everybody's kind of at an even playing field. It's like, who can do the small things better? But as a kid, like that seems insane to me. Oh, that you sure. would go through those such little things. Cause I mean, at some point kids, some kids might be a little more stronger at a certain age or more lean or whatever that caters them to being, but just better at swimming at that moment. Yeah. And it's, at the time, I wanted to get better. I wanted yeah. to invest the time. And I, the fun, I think the fun part, if you would call it that, for me was the payoff of mm. being really good at the sport. Sure. And, and I think that probably fed into my motivation. So all of this hard work eventually pays off at the end of the Mm -hmm. season when you perform really well or you win Mm -hmm. or you help out your relay. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a really good point too. Like the fun is also in winning, especially if when you put that much effort in and you 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 wanted to make them proud your coaches so that put a lot into it yeah um so let's go let's move along the lifeline of connor now so the upbringing as an athlete you eventually swam in college um, yes and you lived in a lot of places i think this is kind of irrelevant but i'm just like thinking back to your life and you've lived in so many places it's crazy that's true i've lived in a lot of places (laughs) (laughs) places yeah um how about like, so you touched on like diet and self-image, like how is that affected by his perfectionism? Oh, so I think when it comes to self-image, I, I, I think I developed 
body image issues from a very young age. Hmm. I think as a swimmer, this might be tough to imagine, but if you can imagine as a swimmer, your uniform that you practice in every day is a swimsuit, Mm -hmm. which is essentially your underwear. You're training in your underwear, Mm -hmm. to be honest. At a very young age, I developed body image issues and did a lot of body comparison Hmm. because being in a swimsuit, it's really easy to look around you and start to think, oh, she's thinner than I am, or she's, her legs are more toned than mine. So you start, for me, I started that body comparison really early and started developing a really critical eye for my own body. Hmm. And I think, I mean, that, that just continued my whole life. Cause I mean, I competed in college, so I was swimming competitively for, I don't know, over 16 years. Yeah. That's a long time. So did it, it kind of led to like, black and white thinking like this is what good looks like and this is what bad looks like oh for sure and I I had two really bad stints of depression one I remember I clearly remember once was in high school and then another one was in college and at the time I didn't I didn't know that I was depressed Hmm. but I had I just had extreme, extreme feelings of self-doubt and self-worth and that I wasn't measuring up and that I was failing. And looking back on those times, I recognized that as depression, but at the time I didn't know how to wrap my mind around it. I just... It was you, I was at the point where I, it was so extreme that I, you have those moments where you're like, I don't want to participate in life. I don't want to go to school. I just want to stay in my bed. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore because Mm. all of that pressure that I'm putting on myself is completely unrealistic. Yeah. And all I could focus on were my flaws either in athletics, like definitely self-image, but oh, I'm not measuring up as an athlete today. Yeah. So it led to a lot of unhappiness and a lot of discontent. So you had almost in like every aspect so far, you've had just the high expectations of yourself. And if you felt like you weren't meeting them, that this inevitably leads to disappointment. Oh yes, absolutely. Sure. So, so how do you, I guess now, having kind of grown from that and like you're getting like good, good perspective. Um, how do you measure progress then now? <laughs> That's such a good question because I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's a good question. I it's a good question. I have no idea because yeah. I, especially like when we're talking about athletics diet and self-image, the way I used to measure progress was PRs in the gym, Mm -hmm. right? So you're making gains, you're increasing your strength, you're improving your benchmarks when you're in the gym. Right. And then with diet and self-image, my measurements were the scale I was, I've been a slave to the scale Mm -hmm. since high school. I think I went on my first diet in high school and I don't remember what it was, but I just remember that I got servings of certain food groups. Like I got three carbohydrate servings a day and a carbohydrate was like a slice of bread or a... (laughs) Or like half of a banana. <laughs> right. Oh, and then I got like four, God. four servings of protein. And looking back on that now, I'm like, that was so dumb because I was trying to swim. 
Oh, and you I were was, so active. And I, was, and I was in this huge deficit. Like eating I was a piece not, of fucking bread. Yeah, I like, wasn't eating crazy. nearly enough. So that's stupid. But yeah. and you have so many people are out there are there right now. Yeah, whether it's they not be a fun children place to or be. like people in CrossFit. So what is that you told me a couple of weeks ago or like last week? Is what's the number one way to give a person an eating disorder or like a skewed mental image of themselves? Oh, for sure. The best way to give someone uh, an eating disorder or a weight issue is to put them on a diet. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you tell someone, these are the rules that you need to follow, Mm -hmm. people generally at some point are going to break those rules. Yeah. And whenever that happens, it turns into that all or nothing thinking and they go in the opposite direction. So you operate in extremes. So you're either on the diet or off the diet. And I think it's partly human nature that if you tell someone, hey, you're never allowed to eat ice cream again, the first thing you want to do is rebel. Yeah. Oh, that was exactly the word. ice cream. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's exactly why we resonate with like rebellion. Like people don't want to be ruled by that. They want to make their own decisions. And it's crazy that especially with restrictive diets. I mean, honestly, that's what every diet is, is just restriction. Yes. Based on fucking whatever the fat is. Yeah. You're given rules to follow you develop food labels of this food is good this Mm -hmm. food is bad yeah that black and white yeah and i that i started developing that thinking pretty young i think i was definitely in high school and going back to how do you measure progress i mean progress was what's my what do i weigh today Mm-hmm. What taking progress photos, doing body composition measurements, measuring strength and body fat percentage. And there's all this data that you can collect and your macros. Did you hit your macros today? That's a measure mm-hmm. of progress. And now I'm to a point where I... I had this moment really recently because I was still pretty diligently tracking and weighing in on the scale every day, weighing in every day. Yes. Wow. Um, and taking progress photos. <laughs> and there was a point, it was after Thanksgiving this year, And this just goes to show you that I still struggle with this. I'm able to be a more objective observer about it now than ever before, but it's still such a struggle because after Thanksgiving, I stepped on the scale and just had a complete meltdown, (laughs) just completely just broke down in tears because I let some number on the scale dictate my (laughs) self-worth and after that point I just thought why am why am I doing this and I didn't have a good reason Mm -hmm. I don't know why do I care how much I weigh why do I care about these progress photos why what are you doing with the information I I have no idea I just right yeah I wanted to at one point, I really had all the these athletic goals, and I wanted to be really lean, and I wanted to train hard, and realizing that that's not sustainable. Living there is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It was very isolating and led to a lot of unhappiness for me. And so now when I think about, yeah, how do I measure progress, I... I don't know. I, uh, I think for me, I still focus on process goals of daily movement. Did you Mm -hmm. go to the gym today? Did you take a walk today? Did you drink water? I guess I still kind of use those as measurements 
in my life, but I don't know if it's measurements of progress or if it's kind of like a little checklist of low hanging fruit. Yes. I'm, I'm participating in self-care because that's important Mm. to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think when we talk about progress, like the easiest way to track progress, especially for self-image or diet is the scale. It's the most accessible thing that anybody has the easiest, you know, and and it's, you know, how much weight am I lifting? Like, okay, last year I was lifting 150 and now I'm lifting 275. That's, that's clearly progress. Mm -hmm. But I think what's eventually the people go through this and it catches up with them. Like, it sounds like it has caught up to you at least in spurts of like, that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is how I I'm feeling today. Um, and I wish I could share the details of Jess's story. Cause I think you guys have mm-hmm. very similar things that have yes. happened. Yeah. The long story short, like she, she feels in her body's doing amazing right now, but it has nothing to do with what's going on at the scale. And it's like, I, I don't care how much weight I'm lifting. It's how do I look in the mirror and how am I sleeping at night and mm-hmm. how do those lifts feel? So that's, it takes a pretty humbling approach to track your progress like that. Yeah. Because we are so concerned and society tells us and we're bombarded with what does the scale say? How much lift do uh, or the scale for, I mean, honestly for men and women, but it seems like women are mostly affected by what the scale says and how much weight are you lifting also affects men and women, but the men are supposed to be, you know, quote stronger, mm-hmm. you know, that's just the way it's been. Men are supposed to be bigger, stronger, you know, that's what we've been told. So it's easy to want to track progress like that and be sucked down there. And honestly, I think you do have to get sucked onto that wormhole to like, then come back out and see perspective of yourself of what is truly important. And for you, it seems like, I mean, for a lot of us, it's how do I feel? What are my relationships like? How am I sleeping? You know, those little aspects you kind of take for granted and don't think of as important. Yes. And I think, one thing that's probably helped me is to let go of aesthetic goals. Mm. So aesthetic goals being, I want a six pack or I want to fit into a size four. Mm. You know what I mean? I think letting go of aesthetic goals, because for me, I'm hypercritical anyway. And what I've noticed about myself with tracking body fat percentage is as soon as I achieve a lower body fat percentage result, I just want to go lower Mm -hmm. for no reason other than, oh, I can do better. Right. Oh, I could, if I'm at, if I'm at 15%, I could get to 14. I could get to 13 Uh just to maybe prove it to myself or I don't know, but yeah, letting go of aesthetic goals has been helpful for that. But yeah, I don't know. I think what you said is for me stepping back and looking at the big picture. And Mm -hmm. I always, I always think about my future self. So I always think, okay, 10 years from now, even 50 years from now, I want to look back on this time in my life. Mm. And I don't want to remember this time in my life as, oh my God, you spent all your time obsessing about your food, counting, weighing, and measuring everything. No, I want to look back on this time in my life and say, we had, we had fun weekends. We went to Traverse City last weekend and went wine tasting mm-hmm. and went out and had a great meal and had drinks. And we were the best of friends. We were the best of friends. Yeah. I yeah. want to remember those times and I don't want to look back at the end of my life thinking, wow, you spent your whole life obsessing about mm-hmm. the cellulite on your thighs that nobody yeah. else can see except you, you know? Right. That's so true. And again, I, I just love that you said that. And it gave me this thought of like, you could have a different type of people, like someone who has never tracked or weighed macros ever, but like lives life like that, mm-hmm. like, like goes out with their friends, has fun all the time um, and doesn't care about how much he or she eats or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then they could also at the same time, that same person could have the mindset of, 
like, oh, I'm ne- I'm just never going to be like, you know, look like that person on Instagram or skinny like that or whatever. So mm-hmm. they can still be yes. pretty self to self defeated. Yeah. But gaining the perspective from having those issues and then trying to pursue it. And what I mean by that is like tra- tracking your macros. So, you know, uh, doing everything like that, you know, progress picks, weighing yourself every day and then realizing it's not worth it. Then you have perspective from both sides. And now you can just, you can truly, I think that's the way to happiness is going down that wormhole and then kind of coming out and seeing the other side and back. Like I'm going to have fun on the weekends. We're going to go to Travis city. We're going to drink all day and then have tacos at night. Yes. And we're not going <laughs> to sleep enough on this Saturday night, but then I know well enough to get back on track, you know, the next day and be fine with how I feel and how I look. Yes. Because everything else isn't worth it. It's definitely a journey of finding what that balance is and what that middle ground is for you. Cause everyone's yeah. different. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, you want to balance all of those things. You want to imbalance, you want to find balance between your health goals and mm-hmm. living well, but also enjoying your time and socializing and indulging and savoring your favorite foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so kind of with all like, of these aspects in your life, a lot of negative self-talk has probably kind of uh, been in your mind. It's in everybody's mind, I guess, negative self-talk, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, So I want to ask you a question. Is there a way to benefit from negative self-talk? Oh, that's a really good question. I, it's real. So it's really hard to harness that critical voice inside your head. Mm. So we all have negative self-talk to a certain extent. If you can, I always tell people to step back, step out of yourself and try to become an objective observer of your habits and behaviors. So you almost want to look at what you're doing as a completely unbiased person looking at what you're doing And look at things objectively, because when I think of negative self-talk, and actually this happened, this happened this week, where I'll give you an example of my negative self-talk. We did, we did a workout. I don't even remember what we did. It was long and awful and horrible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was having one of those days where I just had nothing to give. My body felt pretty run down and I could not. I just didn't have that go button Mm -hmm. and the workout ended and I muttered something under my breath along the lines of you suck. That was terrible. You suck. (laughs) And the only person that heard it was Corey Mm -hmm. and he immediately looked at me and says, Hey, you don't talk to yourself that way. (laughs) And he checked me. And I would say, if anything, the best way to combat negative self-talk is to recognize it because we don't all, we're not all aware that we're doing it Mm -hmm. because we constantly have those voices in our head that are saying, you suck, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not strong enough. And we don't always recognize that that tape player is playing on a loop in our head. (laughs) So if you can recognize it is the first step and then try to counteract it. So either recognize it and say, so if I catch myself saying, um, wow, you suck or you're so weak. If I can catch myself and say something positive, So basically counteract it with a positive. So if I say you're really weak, I need to say, you know what? That was the, that was my best effort for today. And I can somehow follow it up with a positive. And over time, the more you do that, the easier it becomes to just let the negative voice fade into the background. Mm -hmm. 
And it'll feel silly at first. Yeah. Because you feel like you're kind of pumping yourself up with compliments. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think the hardest part is becoming aware of that too. Because man, it's it's so difficult to even recognize that voice in your head, right? That it's actually so powerful and defeating. But once you do, it can be really easy to like, oh my God, I've been telling myself this for years or whatever. Yeah. And that's, um, there, so there, a great strategy for just bringing awareness is called pointing and calling. Mm. And so that's why sometimes it's nice to have someone else on your team. So in that scenario that I shared with Corey saying, Hey, you don't talk to yourself that way. That, that helps Mm -hmm. in that, in that scenario because you can point it out and call it out when I necessarily wouldn't have realized that I said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's great. That was absolutely fire, Connor. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Bones. Yeah. You're pumping me up. <laughs> I, you made me think of a quote or something I read while you were talking. And it said, treat yourself like somebody that you are in love with. so i don't know it sounds fucking cute but but you would never you know you would never treat Corey like you would never tell Corey you suck and be serious about it right i would never tell jess you're not good looking enough (laughs) for me you know but we we subconsciously we don't use those words you're not good looking enough for me that's kind of what we tell ourselves sometimes when we look in the mirror or like a lot of people have a habit of that or have had a habit of that basically is what you're saying when you pick yourself apart. So treat yourself like someone that you're in love with. I love that. We do not give ourselves enough kindness or enough grace. No. We, yeah, I like that quote a lot. Be kind to yourself and others. Um, All right. So we have gone down that rabbit hole like crazy. So I want to kind of come back out and pull us into the light. I want to know three things on how we can overcome uh, perfectionism. Yeah, I would say the first thing is definitely recognizing it. Mm -hmm. So recognizing your mindset and the thoughts that are on that loop in your head. So becoming aware is always the first step in any type of change that you want to make. So starting to recognize it, you can even use the notes app on your phone, or if you prefer pen and paper, just kind of write the thoughts that come into your head throughout the day and just start to take note of, is it a negative tone? Is it a positive tone? What's the voice inside your head saying? Mm -hmm. I would say become aware of it. Um, the next thing is trying to shift that mindset. So if you're a perfectionist, you tend to be, you tend to have high standards or in our, in our really high achieving, and you have a hard time giving yourself a break mm-hmm. because you put so much pressure on yourself. So we did a whole episode about B minus benefits. Yep. And this comes from Shannon. I did some trigger therapy sessions with Shannon a while back, and she introduced me to B minus mentality. And B minus mentality is generally as a perfectionist, I want an A plus. Mm-hmm. An A and an A minus is not good enough. I'm striving for the A plus. Nothing else is going to do. And this is in every aspect of my life. But if instead of shooting for an A plus, so let's say it's a workout, it's hard to go into a workout every single day without hitting your breaking point, right? You can't hit a workout as hard as possible and be on top of the leaderboard and PR every single day. Mm -hmm. That would be an A plus. But if you can shift your mindset and say, you know what? My goal is to get a B minus today. And what does a B minus look like? Okay, a B minus looks like I go to the gym, I move my body, I work on my clean technique, and 
I focus on my breathing during the workout. That feels like a B minus. And so that feels pretty good. And that's more sustainable in the long run. Mm -hmm. And it takes the pressure off. So yeah, if I go to the gym and I PR, great. But you know what? If I go and just work on my technique for the day, yeah, I'll give myself a B minus. So kind of practice lowering your expectations, I guess, or your standards for yourself. Yeah. It takes the pressure off. For sure. Especially for things like that, where it's the gym, where it's important, but it's not your entire, like if it doesn't go well, like you, your literally entire world won't fall apart unless yes. it's, it's unless your mindset changes. Yeah. It's not, it's not your whole identity, you right. know? Right. Uh, um, so number three. Yeah. Number three. One thing I did that really helped me is I started using the five minute journal, Mm -hmm. which we did an interview with the five minute journal also, which was great. But the five minute journal has a section in there where in the morning you write out daily affirmations Mm -hmm. and affirmations sound kind of silly because affirmations are, I am statements. So I am strong. I am beautiful. I am vibrant. And I started using those affirmations to create my identity, but also to decide how I wanted to feel before I started my day. So I would always say my, my keyword was vibrant. I am vibrant. I am confident. I am strong. I am clear-headed. And those would be my go-to words during the day. And when you first start doing it, it's, it feels so silly. Like, okay, I'm vibrant, whatever. But then after a while, through repetition, you start to remind yourself of those affirmations throughout the day. So when you do start to feel a lull in your day, because there's ebbs and flows, you kind of remind yourself like, no, I'm vibrant. I can do this. I'm confident. Mm-hmm. And you start to say those things to yourself. Or when you're at the gym, you start to notice your language and your self-talk is changing. So I found for me personally, affirmations to be really helpful in starting to change that inner dialogue. Yeah. That's so important because just the opposite is true. The opposite of the negative self-talk, we believe that and it really affects our life. Literally, if you flip the switch and do some positive self-talk, some I am statements, now you're going to go the other way. Yeah. Your thoughts can be so destructive. Mm-hmm. Or so. Or the opposite, so beneficial. Right. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Connor, that was absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing with us. That was I really enjoyed this. Yeah. And I'm excited to find out what your Achilles heel is. Ooh, we'll have to wait until next week. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. We'll see you then. Awesome. Bye, Bones. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. We sincerely appreciate you being here with us. And if you would consider sharing the Weekly Warrior with a friend or family member, that'd be pretty great too. If you haven't already done so, leave us a rating and a short review. Also, check out our Instagram page at Weekly Warrior Podcast for more warrior content. Thanks again for being here with us, and we hope you'll join us next week when we discover the warrior within. Thank you.